Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier NFT art podcast. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating amazing art. We're excited to help you in your collecting journey. Let's dive in. Hey, good morning, everybody. I am P. You may know me online as Aston Cloud. I'm joined by my great friend, Tin Bain. Fortunately, Jared couldn't make it to this one, but Tin Bain and I are really excited to talk to you about his journey into NFTs and a little bit about the journey, the transition into becoming a generative artist, or which Tin Bain is currently in the process of. I'll let him tell you more about that. But how are you doing today? Good. Thanks, P, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I've been super excited to have you on because, well, one, we're friends. Two, we are in Proof Collective and Grayley's DAO. And three, I guess just everybody I meet these days in generative art is interesting in different ways and had different ways of getting into the space. And you are, I think, have a really great perspective as someone who is really taking up the the hobby, I'll call it for now, or you, you tell me how you think of it, of creating generative art. I wanted folks to hear your story because I think it is really the story of, you're like a Steph Curry, where it's like, oh, that's me. Like, I could be in the <laughs> NBA, right? It's not like someone who's 6'8 and huge. It's like, yeah, of course they could play basketball. But you, I don't know, it just feels like a very every man story to me, like, here's the path. And one thing I'll tell you before asking you a question is, we I mentioned we were recently talking to Thomas Peterson about this, and he was a food scientist before he got into art. Really? And he actually was a food scientist and then got into biostats and then got into stats and got into visualization and then got into generative art. So he really oh, only man. started generative art like three years ago, he was saying. I got to listen to that episode. It's Yeah, it's not out yet. We, we just recorded it. And actually, it's on screens. So he breaks down screens. And I was like, wow, the job that I've been doing of breaking down these projects is nothing compared to the artist, obviously, who's put you know so much life and energy into it. Um, but enough about that. I'd love to hear kind of your transition into really Web3 and NFTs and maybe a little bit about how you started to transition into the art side of things. And you know, did you know how to code before? How, how did that all come about? Sure. Uh, just because it came up, a word on screens. I think you're probably aware, but maybe not everybody listening is. A while back, uh, Zero X Techno did this screens giveaway, which was based on finding like an out of band or a not minted screen through this screen surfer tool that Thomas has on his website. And just by participating in that, I got a feel for the breadth of that algorithm and what Thomas was able to achieve in terms of variety, diversity of outputs. It's really incredible. So just the fact that you got him to come in and sit down and break down what that meant for him and how he got got there. It's pretty exceptional. I think it really speaks to what we have in this Web3 space. I mean, because I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there were like long form interviews in some capacity with traditional artists over the last hundred years, maybe. But to get somebody to give you, I don't know, I'm guessing an hour plus of their time to really break down their artistic process and journey is something that I just, I, I hadn't seen a lot before NFTs. So that's very cool that, that you got that. He's one of my favorites. He was incredibly generous with his time. He lives in Denmark. He's got two kids. He talked to us for a little bit over two hours. And 
he really broke everything down in terms of all of the characteristics you see in the metadata. And he also explained some stuff that isn't in the metadata for how it worked. So you really got a feel for how the algorithm was constructed and what the various parameters were being and how they intersect and how he thought about that in a way that I, I'm not really privy to for other collections because I can look at it and I could sort of tease out what's happening visually. But a lot of these characteristics and a lot of the nuance is not visual. And I think that for us as collectors, we don't really see a price premium on those things because we can't even see them a lot of times or appreciate it. So if there's not a rarity difference or some clear visual output, it's hard for collectors to appreciate it. But I think as I learned about it more, I really started to appreciate it. And I wanted to go and dig in further into screens and say, okay, this was that thing he was talking about. And so it's an interesting phenomenon where the more you learn about it and can get into it, it's like the more nuanced and detailed it can become. And squiggles are probably the best example of this, where people have figured out all sorts of various traits and squiggles that Snowfro like had not intended in the metadata. I don't know if you yeah. knew this, they actually updated the OpenSea metadata once. Before perfect spectrum and full spectrum, they, they weren't even a thing. I'd heard that. I'd heard that. I wasn't aware simultaneously or, it, you know, when that was happening, I, I wasn't like, oh, this is going on with squiggles. I don't know. Maybe it was before I, I came into art blocks, but it's kind of wild, right? Well, okay. This, this is a bit of a random tangent, but I kind of, I wonder if we go to a world where that really goes more into the hands of the collectors. It's something that I've been working on as if, if for the folks listening. I'm really wanting to build a system where anybody can go and create their own categories or let's call it traits and trade in that way. And, and screens is a perfect example of this because there's a lot of screens that have spirals, but that's not in the metadata. And Thomas purposely didn't put it in the metadata. But if you really like spiral screens with the Berlin palette, then you know, I think there should be a world where you can go and create that and then see how those are trading and say how much should those trade relative to the floor or whatever other metric you want and set up your bots to alert you when one of those hits or, and things like that, where I think it kind of puts power back into the collector's hands. Not power, but I said, it doesn't transfer power from anyone else. I think it just empowers collectors to go and, and find the stuff that really catches their eye. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, that metadata, which is permeable, you know, uh, through these projects, it would be, and we can get into QQL and what they did with metadata, which is really cool, but the ability to open that up to collectors, like you're saying, to maybe be part of that process, maybe of curating, of creating, that's a cool aspect of generative art that I believe is only just beginning to be explored. For like a spiral Berlin, which would be a, you know, grail screen, as a collector, I would love to be able to sort for that, but beyond sort for it, I would love to be able to leave comments on why that's so special. If I've really done the legwork to look into the algorithm, to look into the process, to you know listen to interviews, why do I love a spiral Berlin? And maybe my thoughts on that, if I'm not saying me, but some, you know, like you know, like Vincent Van Doe or some famous collector or you know, Cosmo those thoughts that they have in that metadata might someday make that piece more valuable. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that, I don't know. I mean, so much is going to evolve here. I have to remind myself that we're what, like two years into this 
generative art on the blockchain experiment, something like that. Right? Maybe not even two years. Like when did Squiggles on? I don't think it's even two years. Yeah. So so much is gonna emerge. And then how does the outer world influence the art itself in the sense of okay, we have all these galleries that are popping up. There's DECA. Like you just talked about how you want to be able to say, okay, this is why I really like spirals for screens. Well, now you could create a, a gallery and talk about that and and put that out there. And I think that these like right now we visualize this art primarily on exchanges and every once in a while on Discord when people post about it and stuff. But how does that shift? Do we end up in a world where we're seeing it more and more? And how does that influence the collectability? And to your point, these really brand named collectors, how do they influence it? It's really interesting. I'm also really curious to see what happens when the next wave of entrants come. If this market increases by 10 times, it's not going to be just us who are 10 times richer trading things. They're new people who are coming in. And how does that, do they look to us or really the leaders like the Vincent Van Doe's and the Punk 6529s to figure out what they should like and be interested in? Or are they going to bring their own flavor? And then what happens to the old guard? Do they, do they get annoyed? Like, you know, you heard about this with like, why are people paying so much for monkey pictures from some of the art folks? It's like, well, sure, I, I get it. But, you know, new entrants might bring some new stuff with them. So I, I'm really interested in seeing how it evolves. It just feels so dynamic in many different dimensions. Absolutely. It's a, yeah, anybody who says they know, bullshit. Yeah, there's infinite possibilities for the space. And that's what, that's what makes it so exciting. And I think, you know, many, many, many possible futures will succeed too. And as it becomes more granular, you know, as, as there becomes a specific generative art marketplace, maybe archipelago, maybe something else, as there becomes a specific, you know, PFP marketplace, or, you know, car related automotive NFT marketplace, you know, as these things splinter off and these communities grow around uh, certain types of NFTs, you're going to get, I think, a lot of development in the uh, in the kinds of individuals you see coming in. You know, at a certain point, I don't think you're going to see as much crossover between in these communities, uh, similar to how you don't see as much crossover maybe between whatever, like football enthusiasts and ice skating enthusiasts or folks who are into long distance running and folks who are into painting you know there is some crossover between that but they're largely kind of isolated communities in their interests yeah that makes sense and i think if somebody's coming in for gaming in three or four years what's and that is like a robust ecosystem why would they come check out generative art you know, they'd probably not even really heard of it. And right now, the NFT space is so small, you kind of hear about everything going on, like little bits. You hear a little bit about music stuff and photography and, and whatnot. So, yeah, it, we'll have to see how it evolves. And speaking of communities, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition this back. Yeah, sorry because I hear that the artists have their own kind of community there, which I'm not sure if you're part of that yet. But maybe before going to that, Okay, it was a bad transition. I'd love to hear how you really found yourself in the Web3 world and then how you decided that maybe I want to play around with learning how to create some of this art. Yeah, I, I got us off topic first. So thanks for trying to bring us back. That, that was <laughs> I just had to, I, I love 
Thomas's art so much. It was I, I can't not talk about it if it comes up. But it, I no got into apologize. I I love our conversation, our vibe. I just want to let folks hear this, and then we can just riff on whatever. So you know, recently Discord updated a feature where you can click on your profile to see the day that you joined uh, Discord, and then the day that you joined a particular server. Which is really nice because I can tell you April 13th of 2021 is the day I got into Web3. Because like if I go to the Artblocks server, you know, I joined Discord April 13th and joined Artblocks April 13th of 2021. <laughs> like I had no other purpose for Discord. Like I, I thought it was just gaming or whatever. So I only downloaded it and got in because I listened to Kevin Rose and his interview with dc investor about nfts and they had said you had to get in the discord in order to figure out when the art blocks drops were coming Hmm. and so that's why i got in the discord and i still missed several drops but essentially i got into web3 through art blocks because i wanted to participate in that yeah in that process of collecting generative art it was so compelling the case that kevin and dc made for it on that podcast was so compelling that I just had to look into it. Yeah, it's funny. I actually got in similarly. I, n- I never really listened to Kevin Rose or knew who he was, but I listened to Tim Ferriss and he came on to a Tim Ferriss show. And, and I think the title of the show, they mentioned something about NFTs. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm interested. Like, I want to hear about this. That's eventually how I find my way into generative art. But it was definitely later, almost probably a year later than you, I would say. And did you have any interest in art before that? Or were you sort of wondering what this new technology people are talking about is? Uh, so I've, I've always been interested in art. My father growing up was an artist. And so I was around art a lot from a pretty young age and around artists a lot. Uh, he was not a successful artist. And that really influenced our life growing up. You know, he he was mostly a stay-at-home dad. Eventually, you know, I think my parents were trying to kind of make his art thing work for a while. And then they ended up having me. And, you know, shit got real as it does when you have kids. And so they ended up moving to a, you know, really small town in rural Oregon. And my mom got a job for the city. And my dad basically was, you know, stay-at-home dad. And he was still trying to do his art. And uh, I think... I think that environment just it, back then was it was really hard to be an artist. You know, there was no internet. There was nothing that would allow him to share his art with the outside world. Like I remember him driving hours to get to Portland to go to, you know, interviews at studios or do a show or something and it was just a grind and it took a lot out of him. So, you know, when you ask was I interested in art? I was interested <laughs> From a very young age, but there was always sort of this like cloud around being and being an artist, just because I had so many negative experiences through my father growing up around art. But yeah, I mean, I've always been interested. It's luckily, you know, just through him and through his friends and through everything that came from that, I, I've been exposed to a lot of great art for my whole life. Got it. Yeah, that's awesome. The reason I brought it up is because my story. Part of the reason why I hesitated to get into NFT art is I was have never been in art. My father is a doctor. My mom uh, didn't work; was like a homemaker. And 
I just was never exposed to it. And so I thought, well, is this really for me? Like, am I somebody who should be looking into this stuff? Obviously, I've fallen into the rabbit hole now. And I'm curious, how did you fall into the rabbit hole of going from art blocks and maybe collecting some of this art to, hey, maybe I should try this and maybe it'd be fun, uh, especially in, li- in light of seeing a realistic view of an artist's life growing up? So I had been exposed to generative art before art blocks in, in kind of isolated incidents. I enjoyed, you know, kind of geometry and math in school. And we had a club that did that. And we would have this computer that we could use to make fractals. And then we would project the fractals like on the walls and classrooms and stuff and then paint them basically like pixel by pixel all in the in the Mandelbrot set, which is you know kind of the most iconic art fractal you can see. So that was cool. And, you know, I, I was into computers and tinkering with computers. I ended up going into law professionally because uh, for a lot of reasons that kind of aren't really relevant here. But eventually, you know, you get to a point in your life where you're doing one thing professionally. And then in my case, you have some kids, you're married, you have a house to take care of, and maybe you have time for like a hobby. And, you know, I, I like to try a lot of different things. I'm just kind of that sort of person. So, you know, I'm doing photography and I'm doing the music and a whole bunch of different hobbies, jumping between them. But one thing I kept coming back to was I just liked computers. I liked programming. I liked uh, digital art. I like, you know, making stupid websites that don't do anything. You know, I just, com- computers are cool for me. And it's very different, like a different way of thinking than what I do professionally, you know the other 10 hours of the day. So that brought me into generative art through art blocks. I mean, once I saw what art blocks was doing and started chatting with some of these artists, I thought, well, this is like the perfect thing for me. You know, it's something that I can tinker with. You know, I don't need a whole team to build like an app, which I had tried to do before. I just need some creativity and some coding skills and i can create this art maybe not to the same caliber that these artists are creating it but i can have a lot of fun trying to figure it out yeah that makes sense and did you have coding experience before or did you start picking it up that's kind of funny i mean i i did have some experience just kind of tinkering and for a while i entertained the idea of like a computer science major in college and i you know, tried to learn C++ and a few other things, but I never got super into it. I did none of that for, you know, 12 years afterwards as I was doing law school and, you know, a lot of other things. I working abroad for years. So I came back to coding because after I graduated from law school, uh, there was this initiative in Oregon called Code Oregon. And if you were unemployed, you could get a free subscription to Ryan Carson's like online coding academy. Oh, no way. Treehouse. Yeah. And uh, I was, I had just graduated law school and I was still unemployed. I was waiting for my bar results. And I was like, well, you know, this is free. I got, you know, shit else to do. So I'll do this. We didn't have kids at the time. So I signed up for Code Oregon and I got pretty into that treehouse thing. At the time, I, I had some like ideas for mobile apps that I wanted to make that were kind of law related because I just finished studying for and taking the bar. 
and I could just see like several several needs there. And so I was thinking, well, okay, well, if I don't pass the bar and I don't, you know, get to continue on with this job I've got lined up, I can, you know, put a team together and try to make this app. But I, I ended up passing the bar, getting my law job and kind of that all fell off for several years thereafter. Got it. It sounds like you've been pretty creative even throughout your career, probably even before. I hear a lot of similarities and just the feelings that I've had. Like I was in medicine and I always was drawn to all the issues that I wanted to solve. And healthcare is like very regulated, so it's extremely difficult to solve issues in that industry. And so I actually transitioned into digital health for exactly this reason. Is like, well, let's go solve these problems instead of just sitting in them. And generative art has struck a chord with me in a way that I didn't expect because I think perhaps I've been searching for more creativity in my life and hobbies. Let's call it profession and hobbies. And I am trying to uh, go and, and build something out here. So we'll see. No kids yet. That'll probably change things. But how do you feel now that you have taken the plunge and you're still working, right? But work doing your art on the side, do you feel like that's scratching that creative itch that maybe was also coming up when you were thinking about building apps or solving problems that you were seeing in the law? Yeah, I think what generative art allows is a complete exploration technically and artistically for me. I mean, I'm sure you know, some giga brains would hit a ceiling there pretty quickly on the technical side. But I, I don't know. I, as I see this space evolve, it's obvious to me that artists are analyzing everybody else's work and then building on top of it as, at an amazing pace. So currently, I don't think it would be humanly possible to keep up with all of the technological or artistic in, innovation in the space. And so for me, as a hobbyist artist right now, that's incredibly exciting. And it more than fills the niche that I, I, I want to have in my life for an artistic pursuit. Okay, I have a lot of questions on that. But before we go into that, you have a timestamp for when you joined the Artblocks Discord. Do you have a time stamp or otherwise where you in your mind felt like, okay, this is a hobby that resonates with me. I'm going to keep going. Yeah, and actually I was just pulling it up as you were talking. So I was listening, I, uh, but I had to okay. go in. I had to sign into my Reddit because I never use Reddit anymore. I used to be on Reddit all the time, but now I'm on Discord all the time. Yeah, uh, same. The yeah, crypto so, world shifted, it feels like, <laughs> exactly. out of Reddit. So one of the people I uh, I followed on Reddit, because as I mentioned, I was kind of into generative art. Before Art Blocks, it was still something that I was kind of tangentially aware of. As you, you know, you follow a million different things. You know, I followed the bodybuilding reddit i mean nobody can i don't think this is a, a video podcast but you can see me i am not a bodybuilder it's, but i was not. interested in it because it's like a weird thing that people do you know yeah just like cologne like i don't even wear cologne but i watch like youtube cologne reviews because it it's just whenever somebody's that into something that's interesting to me and so i was i would follow the reddit the generative art because it was interesting to people were super into it one of the people super into it who would post and whose things I loved, you know, dating back to, I think like 2019 was Tyler Hobbs. Mm. And so 
I would just look at the things and sometimes I'd like right click save them that he posted. And I have some like early Tyler Hobbs Reddit posts saved still. But that's so cool. One day I like, you know, I was like, okay, I, this is after I'd heard about art blocks. I was like, all right, I know like what art blocks is. I know who Tyler Hobbs is, you know, that I wonder if he's going to do an art blocks drop. And so he posted something on Reddit. Uh, this was, I think, I'm looking at the timestamp. It was May 8th of 2021. Mm. And it looks like an early Fidenza. And I just asked him, like, I, you know, I had messaged him or like commented on his posts before. So I commented on this one. I'm like, how did you make this? Uh, and he replied and said, uh, I coded it from scratch in processing via closure. And I was like, all right, that's how you do it. And so from then on, you know, I kind of, I started in processing, uh, and, and sorry for, for, for layman's like, like myself, what, what is that? What is, is that a programming language? Is that like JavaScript? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you're in, in general of art, many artists have many different workflows in programming. There are many different languages and, when you're working in JavaScript specifically, there are a few, I would say, like shortcuts from just vanilla JavaScript to language or environment that's built around creating art. So, you know, JavaScript, just basic JavaScript is the language. But if you want to make art with JavaScript, making art in P5.js is going to be easier because you have access to these functions that are part of the P5 library that you would otherwise have to hard code in JavaScript. Uh, so, so some of the infrastructure is already built out that you exactly, can build upon. Yes, exactly. Like you, you have some scaffolding. You know, I, I would kind of liken it to, you know, if you want to make a painting, there are some really like hardcore artists, some of the best artists who are going to stretch their own canvas and prepare it and staple it and do all the work of getting that canvas ready. And then they're going to get pigments and they're going to grind the pigments and they're going to add a little bit of oil and they're going to get the viscosity just right. And then they're going to make their painting once they've created their tools. You know, they might even build their own brushes. These are people who code in like vanilla JS in my mind, you know, right. and some artists that come to mind are like, you know, Alexis Andre, Raven, these are artists who make their own brushes. I think Matt Cain does as well. Matt, yeah, I mean, Matt Cain's almost, yeah, definitely Matt Cain. Matt Cain's almost on a different level, different tangent. I wouldn't say a different level because I think, you know, those two individuals I've mentioned previously are probably just as strong technically, but Matt Cain went about it in a different way, I think. I see what you're saying. And to your earlier point about, listening to people do deep dives on cologne. It strikes me that everything is like this. If you ever watched that show Chef's Table on Netflix, oh, yeah. popular for a while, all of these master chefs literally go to the farm and they have an influence in like how the ingredients are grown that they use in their food. And the stretching of the canvas reminds me of that. Or this, you know, do you use P5JS or are you going one level deeper because you want to get extra customization and you understand how the nuances of the defaults on P5.js influence the eventual output and you want to change that. Yeah. So 
I guess to kind of back up, I wasn't a good enough coder to code in vanilla JS. Also, it didn't even occur to me really at the time that that's something I could do because Tyler had told me he made this thing that I thought was really cool in processing. And so I thought, well, you know, if he made this, which is one of the coolest pieces of generative art I've ever seen in processing, why would I go learn something else? You know, in processing, super user friendly. The Processing Foundation has an amazing website. It's really easy to set up the environment. There are tons of beautiful examples from artists. There's a beautiful community, you know, in generative art and a culture of sharing. So you get these incredible artists, you know, Tyler being one of them, but pick your top like art blocks artists. I bet they have sketches up to share to help others on the Processing Foundation's website. And a lot of them open source their code too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of them open source their source their code. I mean, there are many stories of artists, you know, helping each other coding pieces of each other's algorithms before a release because it is so so hard to do both things: do the technical and the artistic part well. And you might be really good at one aspect of it, and you might be weaker in another place, and you know, whereas in the traditional art world, there might have been that competition there. There's really this culture of abundance in generative art where, you know, we can all succeed if we just help each other out. Okay, awesome. Well, I, I will follow up with you afterwards to get some of these websites. I'm curious, you mentioned the artist community. Where do they hang out? Is it also Discord? Is it just like a different Discord community? Or where do you find the artists? Uh, you know, I, I haven't been like admitted to that inner sanctum of <laughs> this like mythical artist community. You know, on, on Artblocks, there are several artist channels. I don't post there. As a community leader at Artblocks, I do have access to those channels. And I might lurk there sometimes to like, lean some tips. But I feel like that's their special artist space that they get into when they've made the achievement of producing something that's worthy of being featured on Artblocks. Got it. Got it. Fair, fair enough. Uh, how many months into this journey are you, would you say, in earnest? I know you mentioned, I guess it was May that you saw that Tyler Hobbs posted this and read it. I'm sure Fidenza was shortly thereafter. I forget exactly when it was launched, maybe June. Well, actually, first of all, did you get any Fidenzas? And and then secondly, I'm curious, like how many months in or years in are you into with the, the new hobby, the, the new passion, let's call it? Yeah. So well, I I actually like I literally installed the processing environment on my computer at home the day because mm-hmm. yeah, it was still it was still covid then and so i was working from home mostly you know still in may of 2021 uh and working from home i could kind of like just install whatever i wanted on my computer and mess around with it throughout the work day like between meetings and so i i did it the same day and i was pretty into it so you know may 8th 2021. So what, what is that like going on a year and a half now? Yeah. Awesome. You're in five months. When, how long did it take? It's okay. You're you're putting in maybe a couple hours a day, maybe a little more on the weekends type of a thing. You know, I, I should absolutely be more, more intentional about it. So I, I'm also a Tim Ferriss fan. And, you know, one of the things that 
I feel really lucky about is that I got kind of introduced to his work early enough in my life where I, I could learn a lot of cool things based on the principles that he sets out in some of his books and his podcasts. And the one thing that I found more helpful than any other, you know, tip that he's given is that you just need consistent, like 20 minutes a day of practice to learn something pretty well, so long as you're intentional about that practice. And so I, you know, I set out to do this 20 minutes a day, very intentionally, you know, taking notes on the pain points in the process. But then also so happened that like a week and a half before that, my second child was born. Mm -hmm. So while I set out to do 20 minutes a day, you know, some days it would be four hours because the kid would sleep and I couldn't sleep because I'd be trying to hold the kid. And so I'd just be like kind of watching tutorials and doing that for, you know, the whole night or some days and sometimes, you know, days at a time I would do nothing. And that kind of still is what it is, you know, with, uh, you know, a day job and two kids and a marriage and a house. I just can't consistently carve out, you know, an hour a day for a hobby like this, which is, you know, is what it is for me still. I do it when I can. Sometimes I stay up all night doing it. Oftentimes I stay up all night doing it. Uh, and then sometimes I don't do it at all because I've got a brief due or I've got, you know, a sick kid and I got to take care of that. Right. No, and that makes perfect sense. I just wanted to get listeners an idea of what the journey is like, because despite that, I'm going to go on a limb and say, I think you've made great progress. Like I've seen some of your work in progress and I know how hard it is. Do you feel like you're building momentum and getting better, even though you're stealing the time here and there rather than being able to have that consistent practice? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you can, you can get a lot better at something if you're just willing to constantly make yourself uncomfortable. And so that's what I try to do with programming and, you know, generative art is even when I'm not actively doing it, I like to think about, you know, a challenge. And so if I see something on Twitter and I think like, oh, that looks, you know, that looks like something I don't know how to make, you know, I will try to make it and I'll stay up all night trying to make it. And I think if you do that and you don't just keep making the same stuff you're comfortable making, it's like, I don't know if anybody listening's ever tried to learn to play the guitar. I played the guitar. I still play the guitar. I played the guitar for, you know, 25 years now. And I probably haven't got better for 20 years. You know, in those first five years, I was doing scales all the time. I was, you know, learning new stuff. And then I started to play in bands and we had songs and I was learning songs and learning songs is so fun because you play a song and it sounds good. You play a bunch of scales. They sound like shit forever, you know, to you, even if you're getting better at them. And I stopped getting better because I stopped making myself uncomfortable. And that's what I've tried to really avoid in, you know, my generative art practice uh, is just let, you know, oh. I can pack these circles. I can put a border around it. It's going to look real good. And I'll get some likes on Twitter and I'll share it and people will say it looks nice. Or like I can, you know, do a flow field now. I'm just going to do flow field after flow field. And even people who are, you know, selling their art are in this trap. And that's not where I want to be. And it's not where the best artists ever let themselves be. Yeah, this seems like another one of those universal 
principles that you're touching on that in order to grow, you have to be at least a little bit uncomfortable. There's this really great book called Atomic Habits where the guy, he doesn't exactly talk about this directly, but there's, he mentions this, he tweets a bunch and there's some like neuroscientists who talks about how you, you want to be succeeding like 80% of the time for maximal motivation and, and growth. So maybe 80% of what you do is something familiar, but then you fail like two out of 10 times. And that really helps motivate you and, and helps you learn. And there's also this idea of getting addicted to the grind where you are grinding and constantly trying new things that you don't really know how to do and kind of fumbling around. But I think if you do that enough, you start just getting used to that process. You get used to the discomfort, if you will. And avoiding the discomfort leads to stagnation, which is, yeah, that, that, that's super cool. Okay, so you have all these techniques. Last question, I guess, for you as an artist. What are you working on right now? Like, what are you pushing yourself on? So I've got kind of three long-form projects that I've been tooling on now for, well, one of them since, I guess, right around this time or maybe September of last year. It's just been an ongoing grind. And then a, a couple that are, you know, more recent. Technically, one of them's like built around the flow field algorithm. I think like a lot of people who get into generative art, it's, you know, very striking and very exciting when you can make a flow field work and then anything you put into it looks good. So yeah, I, I feel like I've been constantly like catching up to my own tastes with that algorithm. Like I'll think it looks good. And then by the time I have the parameters all set and, you know, good color palettes, I no longer like that style. Like the, you know, the culture of generative artists moved forward enough where by that point I'm like, ah, oh, this is, this looks like a bunch of shit on FX hash. I don't want that. <laughs> Not not to shit on FX hash or anything. I love I have collected yeah. so much. I spend so much time on there. But there's a lot of shit. I mean, there's a lot of chaff. And that's the beauty of it, is you know, the not always the best stuff, but you know, good art there finds a market and bad art does not. Uh, yeah, and, and there's I guess another quote. I think it was a Henry Ford. No, who was it? Whatever. There's a quote that's like, if you want to invent something good, you have to have a lot of inventions. Like it's not yeah, like exactly. You just need a lot of reps to get to the good stuff. Yeah. So I've got that one. And then I've got a couple others. One that's one challenge that I've had in in my generative art practice is, you know, really understanding everything you can do with vertices and how you can build shapes and shading and all of these parts, all these components of art with them. And so I tried to build a project around that. And then, yeah, vectors are the most recent kind of fascination that I've had trying to, you know, I, I was never great with vector math, you know, in high school, and I haven't done it since high school. So I really like I had to go into Khan Academy and like, because I, I, I like was too bad to even understand the tutorials around, you know, vectors in P5. So I had to go back and like relearn some of the math. And now it's now it's a bit better, but yeah, those are the three things that I'm really tooling with right now. That's awesome. Well, well, I can't wait to see what you come up with whenever you are ready to share it, and we'll we'll obviously tout you here on Collector's Corner. But one of the things that I'm really we were talking about this before we started recording. Now that you've been building as an artist, I imagine you appreciate new collections that drop differently 
when you put your collector hat on. And we were talking a little bit about this new Artbox curated Fontana by Harvey Rayner that you were really excited about. Yeah. I haven't really been paying attention, but I mentioned we were talking to Thomas Peterson before. He was saying that he's been waiting for this one for months because he's been seeing the outputs and he is in that inner artist circle, right? Where they're all sort of talking and sharing about this stuff. And it just makes me wonder, what am I missing as a collector? Because I don't I don't know how to think as an artist. I'm not an artist. I haven't been building this stuff. I'm curious if you can speak to that and specifically to like Fontana too. Like what excites you about it? I mean, first of all, I think you gotta trust what you like. So if you look at Fontana as a collector and it doesn't speak to you buying that is a recipe for pain so this happened to me with like with uh anti-cyclones i wasn't i wasn't that into them into the outputs you know for my own limitations i would think and i didn't buy any and now i'm experiencing the other side of the pain but had i bought them initially i think i would have doubted myself because i tried to only buy something if i really loved the outputs that said on fontana the the outputs here are so striking because I, I think for for two main reasons, uh, this algorithm does a couple of things that I haven't seen other algorithms do at least as well. It incorporates generative color theory and then also uh, layering. And these are two you know aspects of painting, of traditional art that most you know like art students would learn pretty early in their in their uh studies you know they would learn what it means to layer elements on a canvas and they would learn color theory and usually in generative art when an artist produces an algorithm layering is done either completely randomly or it is done with a certain amount of intent but somewhat ineffectively. I would say probably the projects that did it effectively and intentionally that I've seen you know, previously are uh, Memories of Chilin and Screens. But layering is very hard in generative art for a variety of technical reasons. Uh, and then the color theory, this generative color theory that Harvey Rayner created is different because most of the time generative artists are going to create color palettes, and they could be very complex palettes, but they're kind of presets. So, you know, we're going to have colors A, B, C, and D in this many outputs. We'll have colors E, F, G in this many outputs. And by that, there is some randomness because, you know, which of these sets of colors are going to be applied to which of these outputs is randomized. But there isn't randomness within the palettes of color. And that's what my understanding of what, you know, Harvey's been able to create here is that the colors work so well together because they flow within the palettes. Yeah. So you sent me that article and my really quick skim of it made it sound like what's unique is that the palette colors, and tell me if I'm getting this correctly, trying to summarize what you just said. The palette colors themselves are generated at rather than being preset for these four colors work together. And yeah, a lot of artists use gradients or, you know, different ways to tweak those colors, but they don't tweak 
what the actual RGB is. In this case, in Fontana, you don't know what the RGB is until it's actually output. And I know there's probably different restrictions to different parts of the piece. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, some artists are going to work in RGB. Some are going to work in HSB or HSL or, you know, different color modes in, you know, in the program. But ultimately, they are themselves saying, okay, that is a nice color. That is a nice color. I want these colors to appear. And then as you've highlighted, they might tweak those colors and get a really nice flow. I mean, I think the colors on Fidenza, for example, could not be better. You know, the palettes that Tyler selected. And likewise, if you're generating QQL outputs, you can, you know, choose the color palette. And those are perfect colors. But this is a different result with Fontana. And by virtue of being different, you know, it's, to me, interesting. And then it's so well executed that I believe it is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to say, I completely agree with you on you have to collect things that catch your eye. There's so much great art out there that there's going to be something that catches your eye and is technically interesting and all the other stuff that you may want to collect against. I don't think you have to go and buy something that sounds good for a bunch of reasons, but you don't like the way it looks. I don't think that makes any sense. And I do think, though, as one gets to appreciate the technical nature of it, things become more interesting to you. I'll use a sports analogy. I played a lot of tennis growing up, and I would watch these epic matches with you know, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, and I'd be watching it, and it would just be insane to me because, well, they made it look easy, but what they're doing was so hard, and they're doing it so well consistently that me appreciating the technical nature of what they're doing really helped. And I think from that standpoint, I, I hear a little bit more from people, artists really, and I would imagine you, you start getting intrigued by that. And okay, this new generative color, what's called color filling it within this work is now that you explained it to me, actually super interesting. And I didn't realize that. And that does sound unique. Another thing that, okay, so I'm leading somewhere. Do you, do you think that we are on the cusp of some really interesting, unique things coming up in generative art as people are continuing to experiment and push the envelope? It feels like to me, you know, Fidenza, part of the explosive popularity of that collection was that it, from my understanding, like Tyler Hobbs was able to really hit flow fields quite just like almost perfectly. And with everything else that I'm sure there's, of course, more than that in the work. And it was a good timing in the market and blah, blah, blah. But it seemed to me that it felt like from the community that there was somewhat of a breakthrough that happened with that project. And do you think that there are breakthroughs on the cusp? And I actually have some ideas here, but I'll pause there and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. It's one of the most fun things to think about how much innovation there's been in the space in two years and how much there will be forever after. I see generative art as the defining art movement of NFTs. And just as you've had in art movements throughout history, there's going to be an explosion of innovation, which we're living right now. And then there's going to be a trickle of innovation forever after. So to answer your direct question, yes, I do believe we're going to see a huge amount of innovation throughout the genesis period of this movement, which we are very much still in. 
I don't think that will necessarily last forever, though, because it hasn't historically for any other. You know, there are still innovations in cubism, but nobody really cares anymore. You know, maybe some people do, but what the innovation really is then thereafter is using cubism and using the the, the parameters that cubism, the movement, defined in subsequent movements. And that's what I believe generative art will eventually become. But for this generative, you know, generative arts genesis period, and I know generative art was around before, but I mean, we got to be real with it. This There was no Tyler Hobbs, you know, generative art superstar before. Like, I went to a Moonbirds party in New York with David Blaine and Tyler Hobbs was on stage live coding right before Mixmaster Mike and Tame Paula went on. Like that wasn't a thing before, you know? Right. So we're in a different phase of it. So all those people that say like, well, Jennifer Hart's been around. Yeah, it has, but it's different now. And to ignore that fact is, uh, it, you know, it's like will, willful blindness to what the movements become. So yes, I do believe there will be huge innovation in the kind of short to medium term. And then I believe it will kind of solidify at some point. And this will be what generative art has become. And we get well, to decide what that is. Right. And I wonder if there's going to be... So you mentioned this, how Fontana has this generative color element to it that is unique. And I'm wondering, is there going to be something else unique that comes out I mean, selfishly, I'm sad that I missed Fidenzas, right? And I'm like, well, what's what's the next Fidenza? It's a question that a lot of people have. And the question is, is that going to come from generative art? Is it going to be, you know, a new type of technique that blows everyone away or a combination of techniques or just that technique that's been there just done in a slightly different way where it just resonates really well? One thing that I was talking to Thomas about is he was talking about with screens, how all of the screens are put from the same perspective. Like you're looking at it from the same direction. I was like, well, what if you generated that? Like imagine a a corner archetype, but now you're looking at it from a different angle completely in one of the pieces. Or William Mapon's been sharing some incredible work on Twitter where he's generating what look like brushstrokes. I don't know if any of those are going to be a breakthrough that comes through, but do you feel like the juice has been squeezed out of generative art where we're not going to have any of those big breakthroughs still and it's more of the trickle now. Or do you think that we could still... I know this is like, no, who knows, but just sort of thinking out loud here from someone who's definitely closer to the technical side than I am. Definitely. Definitely the juice has been squeezed and there's so much more juice. You can have both feelings simultaneously. You look on FX hash and you see one trillion Fidenza copies and you're like, we're dead, you know, right. Like bring on the FUD, <laughs> you know, but then you see something like Fontana and you're like, Oh no, actually like we are so, so, so nascent in this process. Like generative in the term we're introducing randomness into the creative process and embracing mechanized process of creating art that is so new in terms of what artists are able to do i mean we're still here at our keyboards like typing inputs into a window on a screen uh these are the you know the physical tools that limit what we can do creatively but those 
things too are transient. You know, the, these things will move into these physical limitations will be become further and further removed from our creative process in the sense that it, it will be a, a purer interaction between you know the creative juices coming out of the artist and the art that you see there and throughout that process of technological innovation there will be i would say you know uh, orders of magnitude greater of artistic innovation yeah i feel very hopeful that also as the tools become a little bit less technical there'll always be a place for going down and custom creating your tools but as they become less technical, more and more people will get to participate in that artistic side of things. We hear about Dolly, and people are worried that, you know, for folks that don't know, the AI that can generate images for you by just typing in text, people are worried about, well, is this going to kill art? I'm like, no, it just seems like a, for me, a, a more advanced brush. I don't think it would necessarily change art. I mean, there's always that creative aspect that humans are going to bring to the table. Exactly. Yeah. And as you abstract away the, technical barriers to creating generative art, you only open up the space to more and more artists. I mean, there, how many incredibly creative people right now could be making amazing generative art, but they're not because they don't know how to code or they don't know how to you know, access our blockchain. Like, there are so many barriers that we can reduce to grow the, the, the pool of artists from which we're drawing creative inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. And the more experimentation, the more interesting things are going to emerge, the more the field's going to get better. And we just talked about a few things that could be advanced, but there are things like motion and, and music that I don't think have quite been done well. And Zach Lieberman does a lot of stuff with light. I don't see too many people experimenting with light or you know, call digital colors, if you will, as opposed to more analog colors. Oh yeah, like Alita Sun, Zach, uh, Jason Ting, like these artists are, you know, th these artists that are bending motion and light in their generative practice, it's just not, we're not ready for them yet. Like it, with the tools that we have to appreciate their art, um, like a couple of times I've seen Alita's work and Jason's work displayed on a wall, something large. It's mind-blowing, incredible, so moving. And it's just not possible to get those feelings from the screen. I mean, okay, so kind of I digress, but one of the things, like one of the lessons that really stuck with me from when I was little, is, I mean, my dad, he could, he could do all sorts of art. He's just a very talented person, but he loved sculpting. And he did a lot of sculpting with us when we were little. Whatever I would ask him to sculpt, he could do it. Like I could say, I want a cat, and he could make me a cat. And he could say, I could say, like, oh, give me a truck, and he could make me a truck. And like the catness of that cat or the truckness of that truck would be so intense compared to what like a picture of a truck would be. Mm -hmm. You know, he wouldn't need to look at a picture of a truck. He had a truck in his mind. And the truck that he created didn't doesn't look perfectly like a truck. But by the way it looks, I could tell like, oh man, this is like a 15-year-old truck that still somehow, you know, like starts every time you turn it over and you can depend on it in any weather. Like it had that. And good art has that. You know, it, it communicates something beyond whatever 
you know, the figurative form might be. We are still like very far from that, mostly in generative art. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think good art is, it's almost like nonverbal in what it communicates. And you all, you have to like back into the the words. And I actually, I want to show you something because you were talking about some of your early like artwork. Have you seen the Dimitri's Taylor, uh, Dimitri Cherniak's Taylor Swift ASCII art? Uh, yeah. Okay, you have seen it. Well. I want to see it again. I want to see that. There it is. I got it up there on the on the screen. I'll drop this in the show notes since this is audio only. It's insane how it really captures her image, even though you can tell it's just you know a bunch of H like numbers and letters, right? They're obviously there, but the emergence of that it communicates something in your mind that just happens. Don't you think Dimitri's like Andy Warhol? Plus Mark Rothko, plus like like he he's so incredible. He's got so so many facets to his personality and his creative abilities. Like when you show me that, it just like obvious parallel to yeah, obvious parallel Warhol, to Andy yeah. Warhol. But then you see Ringers, and you're like, what? The? This is the same person. Yeah, and this guy was like, basically, it sounds like a quant, almost like PhD level like math, statistics, computer scientists, and he started a company. But uh, oh, yeah. I, I digress. Hey, I, I, I actually got to run, Tin Bane. You know, I oh, could talk wait, to you forever. Yeah. I got to hop on a, a, a Twitter spaces coming up here. But, but thank you for taking the time. I know you're crazy busy, and, and this is time away from your coding. So I appreciate you taking the time to, to sit with me and share your journey with our audience. Oh, thank you, Pete. I really, you know, I really encourage anybody listening who was interested to go check out some of the projects that we've discussed. Uh, I'll I'll follow up with you and put some of these resources in the show notes for people who want to mess around. And your community mod on on, uh, an Artblocks Discord, if people want to find you and ask you questions about getting started or really anything else, where would you like them to reach out to you? Yeah, please do. As you can tell, I love to rant about this stuff <laughs> to anyone who will listen or not listen uh at tenbane uh you know on twitter i'm tenbane on discord tenbane in the artblocks discord if you want to send me an email tenbane at protonmail.com and i will respond to you all right I'll, i will include all those in the show notes sorry to cut this off like a little bit early my friend i I'm sure both of us could have gone for like another hour. We didn't even get to some of the other like random future of gen art and NFT stuff that we'll just have to have you back next yeah. another time. And maybe, maybe you want to showcase some art then. No pressure, but I, I have a few things that I'm like almost maybe sort of kind of ready to show people. And I do, I mean, I post sketches on Twitter and stuff that are just sort of like daily, daily work routes that I try to do. But uh, yeah. Something, something better or something bigger soon, hopefully. Well, whatever you want to share, or if you want to just come and chat, like always happy to have you, man. We, we really appreciate you. I think people love hearing this and love hearing how you've you've started making that leap. I think it's really encouraging, and uh, you know, we're excited to see where you go with it. Excited to buy some of your stuff. So you just you just let us know. And for everybody listening, if you enjoyed this, uh, please like, subscribe, comment. Follow us. We're on YouTube. We're in your podcast applications. We really appreciate you. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time.
Thank you for tuning into Collector's Corner. We hope you enjoyed this episode and you found it useful in your collecting journey. Please check out our website, www.collectorscorner.xyz, for show notes and digital art galleries related to this episode. You can also follow us on Twitter, at collectors underscore XYZ. If you'd like to help us out, please leave us a five-star review on our website or your favorite podcasting platform and or leave some feedback on how we can do better. The Collector's Corner team and guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.